we're going to be continuing our series here in the book of Colossians, and we invite you to turn to Colossians uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 24. This is a section where Paul wants to remind the church about being church, about what it means to be mature in the Lord. I think for a lot of us, uh, Christianity uh, it, it is very simple, and yet there's a lot of depth in it. And uh, Paul wants to remind us of that we have a, we have growing up to do in Jesus, and that's a good thing. Uh, it's not that we ever get past the basics of Jesus and salvation and the gospel. That's always the core. But he wants us to continue to grow up in this and become mature people. So let me read to you this section. Paul talks about his own ministry to the Colossians, and then he talks about what he wishes for them as a church. I think it's just a great reminder here of what we need to keep first and foremost as a church. Does that make sense? So let me read to you uh, Colossians 1, starting verse 24. We're going to go to uh, chapter 2, verse 5. Here's Paul's ministry first, and then his prayer for the church. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone, here it is, mature or complete or full-grown in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, this is Christ's energy, that he works powerfully within me. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and all those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face. Remember, Paul hasn't actually met these people. He's writing to, to people he doesn't know personally. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, I am with you in spirit and rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, Paul's word to the Colossians, and we ask you would teach us of yourself, Lord, uh, encourage us, today as your believers and as your church uh, with this word that we would hear and receive it and uh, digest it, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen. So Paul starts off, he, uh, I just want to kind of walk through this passage, if that's all right. So there's some really great things here. Paul, Paul gives us the marks of faithful ministry. He, he, he gives us sort of the things in his own life that have been really, really important as he's followed Jesus. And then he, then he gives them the marks of a faithful church. He's got sort of things in his own life that he wants to share and then things he wants to see in them. Does that make sense? 
So the first, the first section, this verses 24 to 29, just kind of skim through that. You'll see this is the marks of a faithful ministry. Faithful to Jesus, a mature life. And then, and then this next bit, two verses one to five, these are the marks of a faithful, mature church. This is what, this is what he wants them to grow up into. So I want to start with this first section, chapter one, verses 24 to 29. What is Paul uh, known for? What is what are the things that, that were so important in his own life that we can model? And the first thing that that kind of maybe rubs us the wrong way, I think, in any way, is that what he says right at the top, now I rejoice in my sufferings. We just sang about this, right? I rejoice even in the middle of things that aren't always joyful. He has this attitude right off the cuff that's so very, I think, perhaps, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is really kind of countercultural, kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? to what we'd often just sort of assume about life. In our experience, if, if there's a measure of pain or discomfort or uncertainty or in a, in a stronger sense of weakness or affliction or sickness or something, you know, really hard in life, it's easy to just kind of automatically go, well, that's just a kind of a hindrance in my Christian life. You know, this is a thing that shouldn't be here. It's an apparition. This is an anomaly. It's supposed to be easy, you know. No, no. Paul says he, he actually invites us to consider the role of suffering in the Christian life. He actually invites us into it. Uh, unfortunately for us, it's really easy to just go, oh my goodness, it's demonic. Some kind of demonic attack going on. Well, maybe, but it might just be life. It might just be life. And Paul invites them into this, and he says, I, I rejoice in my sufferings. I have a willingness to suffer for Jesus. Now, the way he puts this is, is a bit strange, isn't it? In my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. What does that mean? What's happening? Look at verse 24 with me. In my flesh, filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. What's going on? Does that mean as could be kind of read at first glance, that Christ's afflictions are insufficient. There's kind of a, a gap that needs to get kind of filled up to make, it, to make it right. That somehow his suffering and his death maybe are incomplete. Well, certainly not, folks, certainly not. And what have we just heard in Colossians back in verse 19 of chapter 1? God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things by making peace through his bloodshed on the cross. So that work is done. Christ's sufferings are complete for, for your salvation. That work is finished. There's nothing you need to add to it. There's nothing insufficient or lacking. You need only to receive that. It is gift. And yet, Paul says, in the Christian life, as we follow Jesus, there will be a measure of suffering. In faithful ministry, in a faithful Christian life, there will be some measure of suffering to be expected says Paul. And instead of kind of going going into the, well, why is that? And how is that? And getting kind of really worked up on those sorts of questions. And those are important questions. The key here that Paul wants to come back to is what are you actually going to do when that suffering comes? And for Paul, he sees the suffering as, a, as a, almost like a privilege. 
There's an opportunity to suffer for Jesus. And he, and he kind of treats it as this, as something joyful, because it reminds him, I'm on the right track. I'm participating in the life of the suffering servant, which means I'm probably going to suffer along the way too. And that's okay. It's okay. And folks, as we are the body of Christ in the world, there's there is almost an assurance that there's going to be hardship along the way. There's going to be some measure of suffering along the way. Um, in fact, we should just expect this. The issue here for Paul is, are you going to see this as something to, to rejoice in? Learn to rejoice in, as hard as that will be to learn? Or is it going to make you just kind of run from God or, or turn from him entirely? And Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings. He's in jail when he's writing this, right? He's in jail. He's on his way to martyrdom, where he'll be killed. And he says, I'm going, to re- I'm going to choose to rejoice in this place. I know that it, it can be part of honoring and serving Jesus as I do this. And that rubs us the wrong way, folks, because I mean, we, our, our culture is all about you know, your comfort and your happiness and getting what you want, you know, and all these sorts of things. And here Paul says, sometimes you don't get what you want. And yet we're going to choose to be joyful in the midst of it. And it's okay, because Christ is here in the midst of it too. I think, folks, the very best things in life often have a measure of suffering involved. I was thinking about this because we're, we're expecting our second child. And it means uh, there's going to be a labor uh, that's going to be very painful. Uh, first of all, there's a labor that was very, very painful. And at the other end of all this pain was this wonderful, glorious new baby. And suddenly it all kind of seemed worth it. I remember Sarah saying, the pain just goes away. Once they're out, you're like, oh, there we go. And not that it's all said and done, but there's a, there's a, suddenly it's, ah, we made it. And I think for us folks, we need to remember that that sometimes the wonder and the joy and the beauty and, and some of these best things in life, there will be a measure of pain on the way to seeing them. Come, come to fruition. And raising a family is, is perhaps a, a very easy example of that, uh, of, of God using something wonderful and joyful that also brings a measure of pain to see us grow and mature in Him, right? So Paul embraces that along the way. And Paul can embrace it because of this, folks. That announcing and living the gospel of Christ is incredibly worth it. To him, he can suffer for the gospel, suffer for Christ. Because the most amazing thing has happened. Look at what he says here. I've I've become, uh, and this is verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations has been revealed. What's the mystery? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. You can suffer because within you is the hope that even in the midst of the suffering, there is glory and life at the other end of this thing. So for Paul, he doesn't have to sort of drum himself up to rejoice. He just has things in the right perspective. He says, look, Christ is in me. Therefore, I can endure these things. And the, 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 the secret, the thing that's now gone public is that God and his salvation is not just for the Jews, it's for everyone. And this is a big deal. 
This is not just sort of a, a local tribe's deity doing something for them. No, this is the God of the whole universe doing something for all humanity, and that's for you and I as well. We've been swept up into this. And that's what Paul's really excited about. So you can ask, goodness, is the suffering worth it? Yes, because God himself has come to us and made his home among us. And we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. And we can live in him and find new life in him. That's the mystery that's now gone public, as Paul would say. So what does that mean for us as Christians today in Dryden? I think it means, folks, that like Paul, our lives can become this, this arena where even as things happen and, and they're suffering along the way, we are called to lean into the hope that Jesus is for us, that hope of glory. And as we lean into him, even in the suffering, people notice, goodness, there's something different going on with you. There's a reason why you have hope. There's a reason why you have assurance in life. Even though you've gone through something really terrible. What's different? What's going on? There's an invitation here, folks, for us to invite people into the reality that Christ has come for them. It's a call for all of us to live a life that is invitational and, and attractive that others would say, I want what you have. I don't. You're also very human. You get upset about things. You know, you're not perfect, but something's different. You actually seem to love each other when you go together in this place. What's going on? You know? That's what, that's what it's worth for Paul. He says, I can, play, I can face the affliction because Jesus is his anchor. It's, it's the... Jesus is kind of the, the source through which he understands the rest of his life. May it be for us also. May it be for us also. So Paul has this, he has an attitude of willingness to suffer or just face life, as I would say. He's just, he's willing to kind of face life no matter what comes. Because he has this focus on the gospel that Jesus has come for him. And that is something to get excited about. and It's worth living and he wants to share that with others. And so then, with that all in mind, he, he begins to minister. So take a, look, take a look at verses 28 and 29 with me, please. Three things. He says, him we proclaim. This is Jesus. We proclaim Jesus. We're warning everybody, and we're teaching everybody with all wisdom. So he proclaims Christ. He warns against false teaching. And then he... He is also teaching, he's sort of saying, here's what's not good, and then here's what's good. He's teaching people into the life of God. To what end? That everyone may be mature, or maybe some of your translations might say complete, or perfect, uh, perfecting Christ. I prefer mature, because Paul's, Paul's not talking about uh, necessarily what's going to happen kind of the other side of Christ's return. He's talking about your character in your life here and now as you're kind of on the ground, right here in your life. So I think mature is really good. He says, we're struggling with all Christ's energy to teach you and to encourage you so that you can grow up and be mature yourselves and carry this on, pass this on. This is the life we've called you into. So this is, this is Paul's heart for us. He, 
He has an attitude of being willing to suffer. He has a, a focus on the gospel. And then he launches into this deep soul care for people where he, he proclaims Christ, warns against the bad stuff, and leads them with wisdom into what's good. It's great pastoral ministry, actually, is what Paul's doing. But there's something really important here for you and I. Because I think, if you're anything like me, sometimes you just feel a little bit kind of bogged down in your Christian life. Like it just feels kind of hard. Or, or maybe you feel a bit distant from God, or, or it just, you don't really know where to turn. Folks, if there's anything for us here, it's the fact that we are capable of maturity. And by that I mean capable of growing up in Jesus. You're, you're made for this. You're actually made for this. He's made you for this. You're, you're capable. You're qualified. You're reconciled for this. And the thing about maturity, it's not just an increase in knowledge. For Paul, it's an increase in holiness. Maturity isn't just, you know, knowing all the right things and then kind of sitting back and, you know, I'm so mature. You know, it's just kind of dour and boring. No, for Paul, maturity is, is growing up in the love of God that transforms us. Shapes our lives. Holiness is what, what Paul wants us to aim for, what Christ wants us to aim for. So there's an encouragement here, folks, that even when I feel maybe I haven't done the best in my own Christian life, or I've been searching and I, I just don't really know what the answers are, I can lean into uh, the reality that God has come for me. He's come for the Gentiles. I'm not a Jew, so I'm a Gentile. That's what Gentiles means. Anyone who's not a Jew. God has come for me. And Christ is in me. The hope of glory. So even when I'm feeling down or weak or just discouraged, I need to hear this verse where Paul just reminds me, no, no, remember, remember who you are. Remember your own identity. Christ is in you. Lean into that. Lean into him. And then, and then grow into this maturity. Hear the proclamation of Jesus. Be warned against false teaching. And then grow in wisdom. And so Paul, this is what Paul toils for. Listen to, it. Listen to his language in verse 29. For this I toil, struggling with all Christ's energy as he powerfully works within me. Like he is, this is like, you know, like white-knuckled, teeth-barred kind of language. Like he's struggling to try and bring these people into a deeper understanding of who they are in Jesus. And it's work, right? Because people are tough, you know? People, it's always hard to, hard to work with people sometimes, you know? And uh, so Paul gets it. He gets us. And he calls us to maturity. So that's Paul's heart for the church. And, and, and folks, it's God's heart for us that we would be mature. And by that, think holy, holy, faithful, people. And holiness, folks, it, it's, it's not sort of a whitewashed kind of perfection, perfectionism. Uh, holiness is growing the life and virtue of God. Walking with him, turning from sin, but following Jesus. It's a journey. So with all that in mind, I want to talk a little bit about this next section. Paul here has talked about how we can become mature, and I think there's some keys here for us in this next section about what maturity looks like. We're going to spend about two minutes on each of these.
I've got a five of them. The first mark of a faithful, maturing church is to be a church that encourages. Look at verse two with me, please. This is what Paul struggles with them for. This is what he longs for them. Verse two, that their hearts may be encouraged. This is the first thing Paul thinks of in the struggle. He says, I want to actually encourage you. I want to encourage you in your walk with the Lord. And encouragement means literally to restore the courage. Restore the courage in another. It's that ancient virtue of fortitude that you will sort of carry on and persevere even when things are really dark. And of course, this reminds us of Paul's own willingness to suffer, right? He has been encouraged to, to, to suffer, and now he encourages them and says, look, even with overwhelming odds in your life, even with everything in the culture trying to pull you from Jesus or pull you towards you know, your own desires and your own lusts and all this sort of thing, be encouraged. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. It's okay. You, you can carry on. I remember uh, in my own life, in my second year of Bible school, I was really, uh, I was really low, having a really hard year. Um, I don't know why necessarily. I guess things were harder. Coursework was harder. I was doing a little bit of Greek, which is just a really tough. I don't know. My Greek is pretty sloppy. So, <laughs> well, it's not, it's not terrible, but it's not great. So anyway, working on Greek, it's really stressful. Um, you know, I've got work to do. I was an RA, so I was sort of leading a dorm uh, of, of guys. And uh, I was actually wondering what dorm Charles was in because I was curious about I, I had RA in that same dorm in my third year, so it was kind of cool. But anyway, so I'm RA, I've got work to do, I'm trying to learn this ancient language, you know. Um, Sarah and I had just started dating. So there's just lots going on in life. And then on top of it, they asked me to help do some writing for the yearbook. Oh, and I said yes. And uh, so here I am. I've just got a hundred things on my mind, right? Just going. And it was just kind of burning out with all of it. And uh, I ended up going to one of our professors, uh, Mavis Mulder, our Old Testament prof. And I just sort of sat in, her, sat in a chair off. I don't know if I broke down, but I just sort of unloaded on you know, I was like, oh. <laughs> and she became a real encouragement to me. You know, she said, no, it's, it's okay. It's okay. Here's what we need to do. You know, and she kind, of, she kind of took me under her wing and said, you know, okay, what about your book? Let's set up a plan for that. Okay, what about, you know, this, your classwork? Okay, don't worry about that assignment. Till, you know, and she just kind of sat me down and helped me work through what I needed to do for the next few weeks and next few months. And she was... She helped me realize that I was capable, that I could carry on, even in the middle of something that was really difficult. I was just overwhelmed, you know, let alone my own kind of walk with the Lord stuff that was going on, right? She encouraged me. She was, she became someone who would be with me in the middle of all the stuff. And folks, that's, that's what Paul prays for the church, and that's, that's my prayer for us is, is we would be people who would be present to those who are suffering as they're going through their stuff. And be that encouragement along the way. Maybe you need that encouragement today. Well, it, sometimes, like me, I had to actually go and ask someone for help. So, you know, sometimes people will come to you and they will say, I've noticed you know, you're not well, let me help you. But sometimes it's okay. 
people can't read your mind. You might need to say, look, I just need help. It's really tough. Will you just sit with me? Listen as I vent, <laughs> you know? And if I need some actual direction, I'll ask you. But let's encourage one another. That's what Paul prays. The first mark is encouragement. Second mark of a faithful, maturing church is a church knit together in love. Do you see that? Look at verse 2 again. Their hearts will be encouraged, being knit together in love. Folks, when love dies in the church, the church is going to die. And as I was thinking about this, the thing that came to mind for me, I know last week we talked about reconciliation, but it came up again as I was thinking through this, uh, is the need, if we have issue with anyone, we need, folks, you need to go to them and work it out. If you need to ask for forgiveness, ask for forgiveness. If you need to say, look, I'm, I'm just really hurt. Uh, I'm upset with you. <laughs> I don't like you. I'm upset with that thing you did. It really hurt me, you know? We need to, to, to seek reconciliation, folks, to live at peace with one another. Don't hold bitterness. And this goes for me, too. If you have an issue with me, either kind of just like with Nicholas, or you have an issue with something in the church, you know, like a decision that's been made or pastoral issues or whatever, please, please, just come talk to me. Like, I'm really not that scared. I hope you don't come across that way. You walk into my, when you walk into my study, you'll find chairs. Or you just kind of sit down, and I'll sit in one chair. You can kind of face off with one another. We'll talk through things. No. Folks, if there's an issue, this is so true in so many churches where uh, people just have harbored feelings toward the pastor, someone in leadership. So much healthier, folks, for us to deal with that. And it might be difficult, too. And it might be really nerve-wracking. But, folks, we need to. We just need to. We need to love each other, knit together in love. And so we seek reconciliation so we can live up that love well. Does that make sense? Willing to love our town also. Not just, not just here in kind of our church family. And there's a lot of us. Did you notice? You probably don't know everyone here. I know I don't know all of you. Uh, there's an ongoing need for us to be knit together in love, which means we just need to take time to get to know each other a little more. That's why we're thinking of doing these community groups, right, in the new year? So people can be kind of grouped together and get to know each other and encourage each other in the Christian walk. But may we be a people that seek the good of our community, that actually loves our community well, and thinks of ways to do that that are tangible and meaningful on the ground. So, first mark of the faithful, maturing church is a church that can encourage, be there for one another. The second mark is a church that is knit together in love, seeking reconciliation and the good of each other. Third mark, a faithful, maturing church is a church assured and wise in Christ. Look with me, please, to chapter 2, verse 3. He's talking about Jesus. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom, and knowledge. Folks, knowledge and wisdom are very, very different things. Uh, we live in an age of much information and not a lot of wisdom. Uh, and the classic example of knowledge and wisdom is uh, knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put the tomato in a fruit salad. Right? But knowledge is knowing sort of what to say and do. Your information rightly understood is knowledge, but knowledge rightly applied is wisdom. Yeah. 
Wisdom is the rightful living of the knowledge that you that you have, you acquire. Wisdom is about character in life. Knowledge is uh, is just the kind of amassing the data. Paul says all knowledge and wisdom is wrapped up in Jesus. Knowledge of Him is the beginning to a right relationship with God. But wisdom is continuing on in Him. Do you see that? Knowledge is is coming to coming to faith in Christ, coming to know Him. But wisdom is then walking out as disciples, as Christians, our life in God, letting Him shape and, and transform us in love and in holiness. It's really important. Um, uh, sometimes folks will say this about uh, theology, studying theology. Well, goodness, you just went and studied a bunch of theology. What good was that? And uh, theology is never just information about God. Uh, theology is always an invitation into the life of God. And, and that's why studying scripture is never uh, a bad thing. It's never a waste of time. Because it's never just gathering knowledge for yourself. It's always uh, meant to draw you into the life of Jesus. Always. That's why we often will say, well, read your Bible and pray. It's not just to kind of get, get the right, you know, get your ducks in a row. It's so that you actually are growing in the life of God. Do you see that? So Paul says, knit together in love to reach all the riches of a full assurance of understanding of Christ in whom there is wisdom and knowledge. He wants a full assurance of your, that you would, that you would just know, know that you know that you know you are in Christ. He is in you. My salvation is secure. And now I want to live for him. Not just have a lot of good head knowledge about God, but I want to live in wisdom. Let that knowledge be applied in my life. That's the third mark. So first mark, encouragement. Second mark, love. Third mark, assurance of salvation with knowledge and wisdom. Fourth mark, a faithful, maturing church is a church that resists seductive teaching. I think the encouragement and the love bits go together. Kind of makes sense. I think the assurance and knowledge of Christ and resistance to false teaching go together. Where you know truth so you know what is not true. Right? Paul doesn't want the church to get tossed by every kind of wind of doctrine. I was thinking of, you know those shows, kind of the crime drama shows, where you've got, um, or maybe this happens in real life too, where you've got a lawyer who um, makes the one who is obviously to blame, you know, like the, the convicted killer, somehow he goes free. Because the lawyer can kind of spin the story in such a way that, well, you know, it's not really his fault. And the victim, well, it's actually their fault. And so by the end of the thing, you're going, oh my goodness, you know, where's the justice for crying out loud, right? That's what Paul's worried about. He's worried about people that, that will come in and distort truth, make something seem as it is not. Paul says we need to be grounded, we need to be faithful, we need to be solid. In Jesus, we need to we need to remain deeply uh, biblical people. So, what are the marks of holiness and maturity that He calls us to? Encouragement, love, and assurance of Christ with all knowledge and wisdom. And here, a resistance to false teaching. Last one. Let me wrap it up with this: a faithful, maturing church 
is a church having good order and a firmness of faith in Christ. Now, as Pentecostals, good order doesn't sound very fun. But, you know, there's room for fun when things are healthy and, and there's good structures in place to keep things well, healthy, going well. Do you know what I mean? It, the, good, the great example is if we all just drove on the highway however we wanted, we'd all get in accidents all the time. Right? If you, get, you know what happens when these lights don't work, right? Everyone goes up to the lights when the lights are black, and they go, what do I do? I've seen it. You're supposed to treat it as a four-way stop. Folks, please, just anything you get today. When the, when the traffic lights aren't working, you treat it as a four-way stop. Please treat it as a four-way stop. I came up from the underpass up to Cecil and the highway, right where Francis live. Okay, I just, I just, I stopped, and everyone kept going down the highway through the through the nothing light. I was like, I'm so glad. I didn't think you were stopping. It was like a transport and some other thing, and it was like, I'm just gonna wait here until you guys have it all figured out, right? If there isn't a good sense of order, uh, something to keep us properly in line, it's just it's just anarchy. It's anarchy out there. It was anarchy that day uh, the highway. Paul calls us uh, to a firmness in, in good, a good structure of faith in Jesus. But these words are actually kind of military words. Good order and firmness. It's like he pictures the church as an ordered army and a rank upon rank. And everyone kind of knows their place, knows what they have to do. So Paul also says, look at your firmness is in Jesus. Your firmness isn't in me. Your firmness isn't in your own sense of self-righteousness or your own sense of progress in the Christian life. Your firmness is in Jesus. It's Jesus, not Pastor Nick, not your own character or whatever, that is your firmness. That's, that's where your faith needs to be centered, is in Jesus. And that means even, even when we don't live this stuff out well, even when things are kind of a mess in the church, in all churches there's a level of mess because we're people. Even when things are kind of messy and we're not getting along necessarily and, you know, things are whatever, that's okay because the firmness is, is Jesus. Right? Firmness of faith in Jesus. So we, even in our mess and our sin, when we're disappointing each other, we lean into Christ. He's our foundation. It's Jesus who grows us in encouragement. It's Jesus who grows us in love. It's Jesus who graces us with the knowledge and wisdom to resist false teaching. It's Jesus who grounds us in himself. So that's why, you know, what's great about this is we never actually move beyond these things. We always need this. Like, you know, we, we hear this sermon today, and years from now, we're going to be needing to be reminded. I need to be encouraged. If love's not central in my life, something's wrong. If I'm, if I'm wavering my faith, I need to get grounded again in Jesus. And if I'm way off track, it's been a really bizarre false teaching. I've seen what's on Facebook. There's weird stuff. If I'm way off track, I need to, I need to get centered again. I need to get back to, back to basics. That's what's great about this. As Paul says, your maturity isn't getting beyond the basics. Your maturity is keeping the basics kind of in the format in front of you. It's not like there's secret knowledge you need to get on to really advance in the Christian life. It's just keeping first things first. Keeping Jesus at the center. So folks, today, 
Let's be people of encouragement and love. Let's be people of truth, not false teaching. Let's be people of word and prayer and spirit. Let's be steadfast in him, even in the midst of suffering, willing to rejoice. Let's commit afresh to him. And also, folks, let's, as we, as we strive to live for this, recognize I need, I, I can't do this on my own. I need him to, to grace me to be able to do this well for him. I can't, I can't do this on my own. I need the Holy Spirit to do this in me. Uh, I'm going to invite Pastor Valma to come and pray for us, and the worship team's going to come back. And as, as we prepare to pray, uh, my prayer for us is that we would just lean into Jesus and say, Lord, I need your help to rejoice in the middle of suffering. I need your help to be encouraged and the encouragement. I need your help, Lord. And, and I, I don't measure up sometimes. I don't, I don't always feel mature. But Lord, I come to you today. And would you, by your spirit, uh, stir these up in me? Let's live as wise and faithful and mature and holy people for him. Amen. Pastor Donna.